If you haven't been using the Athletic Brewing app, you should do so. Even if you've broken your dry January, just as I have, you can track each day. You've avoided alcohol, and that is very easy when you have a healthy stock of Athletic Brewing's award-winning non-alcoholic brews. And if you use the code ATHLETICGIFT20, if you visit their website, athleticbrewing.com, you get 20% off your next athletic order, but you are seeing it more and more at grocery stores and places you can get award-winning beer. It's a, I think it won like best beer in the world last year. And, uh, you know, has been cheating the master of your domain by drinking athletic light. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Anyway, let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Devil Media. Thank you, Olatingo, as always. You have me solo today. Chris Ying is at the studio moving furniture because we have some kind of event tonight. Not some kind of event. It's an event for the launch of Chrissy and Dave Dine Out, which airs January 31st. And uh, I'm going to be on the road quite a bit. Got to go to Sundance, got to go to New York, and then come back to launch something else, which I may or not be able to (laughs) talk about quite yet. And I am praying to fucking God I don't get COVID between now and then. I've literally been asking everyone around me, how soon can I get another COVID booster? So I got my bivalent COVID booster in uh, late September, maybe beginning of October. Do you guys think it's too risky to just go in and get another one? I don't think there's a ton of risk associated with the booster, except that it might knock you out for a day or two. And that's that's what scares me. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, better better now than, than later. What about you, Victoria? I'm going to get mine. Um, but like, you know, said plan accordingly. I'm trying to time it like on a time where I can be down for a day or so. Wait, so you got one already this year? I'm planning to. Hope, probably. No, no, no. This is your first booster? Yeah, this is my or, first booster. Uh, this is my second booster of the year. I think more is better. I want more of that stuff in my body. I don't know if you'll, it'll not I need more our mRNA doing its magic. It's done on me. I am just as much a believer in the crazy shit <laughs> that people refuse to believe in as I believe in the blind faith I have in science. If they tell me to take 10 shots, I'll take 10 shots. Is that crazy? I I genuinely believe that if I have more of the Pfizer or what's the other one? Moderna. Moderna. It's going to do me good. It's a scam, Dave. What it is, is the government is only giving you two boosters a year because they're just trying to stockpile it for themselves. So if you can get it, just, just jab yourself as many times as you can. I think you are... Helping out the wrong podcast here. You you must be referring to the Joe Rogan podcast. Another Spotify podcast. No, but the Christian Day Dine Out, we have my wife. She's a guest. We have John Legend, Kumil Ninjani, Emily Gordon. We visit La Casita Mexicana. That was one of the best meals. That's, uh, I think, episode three or four. Uh, two. <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun. Anyway, you have me solo. We're going to do three things. We're going to ask Dave a theoretical dinner date with Mr. Tom Brady. and. A mini moif. I don't know if it's soup season because I feel like I make soup season year round and more and more as I cook and working on some new ideas for some concepts, et cetera, for restaurants. But I've been out of the sort of making restaurant dish game for, for a little bit. And it's dawned on me, the food that I'm most comfortable with are soups and stews. That's that's my bag. And it's not just in the wintertime, it is year round. Braises, soups, stews, that's just what I do. And I feel very confident in my soup making abilities. So I'm going to give you some of my tips 
of common mistakes to avoid when making soup. I think number one is always adding too much water. Secondly, that's one. And I think tied to one is you should not make soup with those box broths. I'm sure some of them are okay. I have used them occasionally. I have used them a couple times this year. There are good ones out there. I think Marco Canora from Broda, my old chef, uh, makes wonderful broths, but they're not all the same, which is why I think that if you're not going to get a very good broth. And that's the difference, broth and stock. Stock is used in professional kitchens because you're extracting a little bit of flavor, but more specifically, I think the the gelatin. And yeah, when I say flavor, you make a lamb jus, you make a veal jus, you make a chicken, dark chicken jus, you're going to know the difference, a duck jus. You're going to be able to taste the difference, but that's after many hours of reduction. And yeah, there's the flavor involved as well, but you're not making professional sauces at home. And that's a lost art in and of itself. And I, you know, ironically, I think the best sauce making in uh, probably the I would say America for sure is Le Bernardin, which is more known for its fish cookery, but they we talk about it a lot. I think at home, you want a broth. And a lot of times when people make a broth, they're only using bones or they're buying stock that has a little bit of meat flavor. So I like to make broths with actual proteins. And I feel like when I go to Italy, I have delicious soups because I feel like a lot of the soups they're making are not just the bones, but actually they're cooking protein in it as well, which is one of the reasons why I love cooking chicken in a pot with water. Like boiled chicken to me is fantastic or just boiled chuck roast. The third, well, I'd say the second thing then is lack of seasoning. You you sort of need to take it to the, the point where I, f- I always use making mashed potatoes or pomme puree as the, the litmus test because that was taught to me by Tom Clicchio back in the day to season and to add enough fat of pomme puree to the point of breakage. And we used to add olive oil, cream, butter, um, milk <laughs> to the point of breakage. And that wasn't what I always remembered. It was always the salt. You, you wanted to take the salt to the breaking point. And we talked about that ad nauseum of uh, properly salted dish is one that is too salty and under seasoned simultaneously. But I feel like soup with it being so naked, if especially if it's a clean broth, like a Korean soups called tangs, I think you need to take it right to the edge. And I feel like when I have a lot of soups that other people make, it's just not salty enough. Thirdly, in terms of soups, sometimes people don't realize how easy it is to make a vegetable puree soup, like a cream of tomato soup or even a celery soup or any kind of root vegetable soup. You just need to boil the hell out of it, puree it, and then thin it out enough, whether it's with dairy or water or some kind of broth to make a delicious soup. And I'll give you a fourth one. Another thing that people don't realize that is just extremely versatile in their kitchen is making dashi. And the proper dashi making is probably not something anyone's going to really ever make at home, mainly because you're not going to get good Katsubushi, the dried, fermented, smoked bonito fish. And it doesn't always have to be bonito. Uh, I worked in a kitchen in Japan where we used baby bluefin tuna. <laughs> that was wild when I discovered that. It doesn't always have to be bonito. Koreans use a lot more dried fish and shrimp. And at home, sometimes I'll use katsubushi and I always brew it like a tea. I don't worry too much about the proper Celsius. And I don't always add kombu. There's a lot of science and maybe we should do a whole podcast one day dedicated to just making proper dashi. But at home, I always have on hand dashi packs. Some of times they're just powdered katsubushi. Other times they're something you might buy at H Mart, which has, you know, mackerel or some other dried fish, kombu, and sometimes shellfish. But when you have a dashi and a lot of times I'll make a lot and I'll store it in core containers in my refrigerator or even at our studio, because I can make a miso soup instantly. 
and it's always good to have on hand. Or if I make clam chowder, New England clam chowder, uh, I'm going to always use dashi to cook the clams in. And why wouldn't you since you're just trying to harness a lot of those oceanic flavors anyway, or if I'm making Rhode Island clam chowder with some potatoes and clams, and it's very similar to a classic Japanese soup. Uh, and I won't even talk about making, what is that hot minestrone mess? Um, Manhattan clam chowder, which is just straight hot garbage. Don't laugh. It, it fucking is. It's fucking gross. <laughs> I had a period in my, a dark period in my life where that was the preferred chowder. Yeah. Where would you get Manhattan <laughs> clam chowder in Southern California. So shout out to the original fish company in Los Alamitos, which is near where I grew up. But they had, they had two different types of chowder. I always thought that was weird. I was like, wow, I thought clam chowder was always white. And then they had this Manhattan clam chowder. And I was like, ooh, like this is kind of nice. You know, like. No, uh, disregard everything you know just said. Um, and another thing that people may not embrace in terms of soup is cold soup. I think Vichyssoise, that potato, that French potato soup is more delicious cold. There's a lot of soups that are more delicious cold, including consomme, which is, again, I would say a lost art in most professional kitchens. One of my favorite things to drink or or eat is, is a consomme. Probably not something you're going to be making at home too much. So yeah, I could talk a lot about soup, but I also think it's Another good tip is to have cream on hand, especially if you're going to make something that's a vegetable-based thing. I've been making a lot of ribolita. Again, shout out to Marco Canora. That's, even though I'm not from Tuscany, that's a that's like real crowd pleaser. It's also everything I love about cooking. Ribolita translates to so like double boiled or boiled again. And a soup doesn't always have to have the freshest ingredients. Clearly, it would probably taste better, but you can always make it with anything that's in your refrigerator. So I oftentimes make a soup to sort of clean out my fridge and I have no recipes to give you for that. That is just whatever is in the moment. So that that is my rambling spiel about making soups. And just, again, you will never see me making new uh, Manhattan clam chowder. It's just tomatoes. Just drink tomato soup. It's gross. Let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry iced tea. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. All right, you know, we got an ask Dave. What do we got here? All right, Dave. This is from Laney M. Hey, Dave. One thing you mentioned on a previous podcast was that becoming a good cook starts with learning how to mise en place. What if you're not a professional cook and you just want to be a good home cook? What are some core principles of a mise en place that every home cook should remember? Love the show. Thank you for being a gem. Well, thank you, Laney M. This is the least sexy answer. When anyone asks, how do I become a better home cook? 
besides keeping tabs of the mistakes you make, making a mental list or even better yet, a written list of what you're going to make beforehand. And I am guilty of not making a written list. And in a professional kitchen, the good ones, you're always going to see uh, the best cooks having notepads and pencils and writing diligently everything that needs to be written down to keep tabs of everything and also keeping notes for their partners at their station. So I think first and foremost is getting organized and mise en place translates to everything in its place. You hear that time and time again, and I don't remember, I'm sure people are learning a lot of that via the bear and shout out to the bear for basically cleaning shop and in all of the TV awards and also to all my friends there and all my friends at Beef, Ali, Sonny, Steve, etc. Really happy for them. So a lot of people use the word mise en place, but I don't think anyone really as a home cook that has not worked in a professional kitchen will ever utilize it. And it is a tool, even though it's this amorphous idea of sorts. Before you cook anything at home, have an understanding of what is in your pantry. Your pantry also includes your freezer. That is pantry, right? Also have an understanding of what is in your fridge. Uh, Right now, currently in my house, I can tell you what's in my fridge. Let's just think about this. I have two bags of Garlic. I have one bag of the gar- big bag of um, garlic I picked up from Costco. I have another bag that my mother-in-law peeled and I'm trying to figure out which one to use first. I have some old baby carrots. I have some carrots from the green market and I have some carrots from Trader Joe's. I have really wilting head. I think it's a head stalks of celery. I have half a red onion. I have probably a half a pound of sugar snaps that I got from the La Cañada farmer's market. I have two eggplant. I have two different bags of Persian cucumbers and I can't distinguish which one (laughs) needs to go first. I have just the veg drawer. I have one squash one zucchini. I have one bag of enoki mushrooms. That's just in the veg drawer. I also have a quarter a head of green cabbage. In the meat drawer, I have two pounds of ground bison, one thawing package of like three pounds of chicken thighs. I have some salmon that's defrosting. That is aura king salmon. I have two pounds of ground beef that's defrosting. I have my kid's milk. I have yogurt. I have Greek yogurt that's unflavored, full fat. I have two things of Elio's yogurt and I have some sheep's milk yogurt that my wife bought and condiments I'm not sure. And I have a bunch of different juice things for my kids. In terms of leftovers, what do I have? I have some Jamaican beef patties that I made from scratch, but I made that with ground turkey. Also, I have ground turkey. I have another thing of ground turkey that's defrosting, but I bought a package of two at Costco. So I have one defrosting and I made a beef patty. That's not really patty beef because I made it with ground turkey. I have some ikra. I have some braised oxtails in a cork container. I have some egg noodles, buttered egg noodles in a donabe. I have some Kung Pao chicken that I sort of made without the peanuts. I have some striped bass that is probably like four days old that is probably going to be fed to my dog if not eaten today and that's not too much of that there's probably honestly like eight green peas in a container (laughs) not much to do anything but i'm pretty sure like literally eight of those because my youngest son likes to eat those i have ham i have because i just made it today i made a, a ham cheese quesadilla for my son this morning i have about six flour tortillas i have two chunks of different kinds of Parmesan. I have two different packages of hot dogs. I've got a lot of American cheese. I have some Kerrygold butter. I have some butter from Whole Foods. And I also have a Kerrygold butter that my wife likes to use because it's spreadable, which I'm not the biggest fan of because it has, uh, I don't remember what it has to make it spreadable. Also, 
I forgot. I defrosted some salted mackerel today as well. That's what I have. This entire booth right now is like deeply impressed that you were able to do that. Let's see here. So right now, in terms of mise en place, before I go to the market, before I go to the farmer's market, before I go to any of the supermarkets, I know, Lainey, what exactly I have mentally on hand. I also know almost exactly what I need to refill in terms of my cooking oils, right? I need to refill my sesame oil, but I've been too lazy to do so. I need to refill my soy sauce bottle and I need to re-up on the Momofuku stuff. I got some black chili crunch. I got some ghost pepper chili crunch. I got, I don't have rice wine vinegar. I'm out of that. So I've been using apple cider vinegar, which I need to get some rice wine vinegar. I need to refill my salt my, I have my salt box. And again, I know this because every time I use it, I'm like, shit, I need to refill that, but I'm too lazy to do so. So I have some of that. I also need to refill my coffee grinder with that I use for my pepper mill. But again, even though it's literally in the drawer below me, I'm so fucking lazy that I refuse to do that. So I, I'm even keeping tabs of all the things that I need to refill. I probably need to buy some new olive oil and I have sunflower oil that's sitting in the back to the right of my stove, but I don't use that because I don't know why I bought that. And I don't like sunflower oil, but even though it's organic, I don't like that. So like I'm even keeping tabs of the cooking seasoning and oils that I have. So like tonight for dinner, what am I thinking? I'm probably, oh, I'm not even talking about the freezer. I I have all kinds of shit in the freezer, but I won't bore you with that because I'm constantly taking stuff out of the freezer to defrost. So tonight I'll probably make some kind of turkey meatball and I'm going to cook some cheese ravioli that I bought from... Roma's market. And that'll be the dinner for the kids tonight because my wife and I have a double date tonight. So anyway, Lainey, like I know that I also, I also put in some pork butt in the freezer. I I, I just know this. I'm just protein wise. I have half a thing of, uh, I have one side of tri-tip. I got a bunch of frozen meat from Steven Ranella. I got pronghorn sheep heart. I got some kind of funky snapper. I got ground ground elk that I haven't used. And I got a whole rabbit that I have not cooked because I know my kids aren't going to eat that. I got some frozen fish and stuff. So I'm always keeping tabs of either the protein or the vegetables that I have because then I'm thinking about what I can make for my kids. So everything for my house is revolving around my kids. I had some people over for dinner on Sunday because I usually cook a lot on Sunday. And that's why I have the braised oxtails. That's why I have the beef patties because I made that. So so if I have people over, I'm thinking about what proteins I need to buy. And I always almost go proteins first because there's a lot of chefs that will go to the green market and think of a dish or some kind of special they can make with the with the vegetables or fruit. I'm always the protein first and then I try to fill it out with the vegetables. So again, number one, Super important just to know the the mental mise en place that you have on hand. Secondly, if you're thinking about the people that are coming over, what you might need to cook. Because a lot of times, if I have people coming over tonight, not that I will, I'm going to try to think about buying something different that I have on hand than than what I have on hand. Because I don't want to serve them turkey meatballs and frozen ricotta ravioli or tortellini. So then I'll start to think about what kind of dish that I'll make them. So maybe I'll buy some striped bass again because it's even though it's farm-raised, it's from Mexico, it's really good and high quality. So that's something I'll get. And the only place you get that, again, is one supermarket that I know of. So I I, I tend to think about the things I'm going to buy in terms of the location, right? If I was in New York City, that's pretty easy because, you know, on your way home, you can buy whatever you need or get it delivered. So I'm constantly making lists and deducting, like, as I go down, what is possible. Then I will try to make as much food as I can with the stuff that I have on hand. So it 
is pretty simple. And when I'm making a dish at home, whether it's for the kids or for the adults. Now, if I, since I've been doing this a long time, you know, a lot of it is like, you know, I asked Stevie on like how he can remember certain things or Joel Kim Booster on the Chrissy and Dave show. Uh, we filmed something with loot this season and he can remember just massive amounts of lines in like almost like one sitting. I can't do that, right? That's just not possible for me because I'm a shitty actor, but also my memory doesn't work that way. But because I've trained myself over 20 plus years to think this way, I don't need to write anything down. I do miss some shit clearly, but I would suggest that you write everything out. You sort of keep tabs of what you have on hand in your home. Then you write another list about the things you need to buy. Then when you get to cooking, you should time out right? So let's just, for example, I made uh, cocoa bread the other day because I wanted to stuff the, the patties in the cocoa bread. So when I woke up in the morning with my son and I made breakfast, I also with my sons made the dough. We sort of made that together. And that's like at seven in the morning. I knew that people are coming around at five o'clock so I could leave it out to ferment because it was cold. You know, like I have a time frame. I knew that I was going to let it rise and then I was going to bench them. So form them into balls around three o'clock, around four o'clock, I was going to cook it off. So I would not have to reheat them. So they would be warm and fresh when people came over. And I started, I started the oxtails at like seven in the morning. I knocked out the things that were most time consuming right off the bat. And the oxtails were pretty simple. I browned them off in a big pot. And then I added all of my aromatics and sauce. And I cooked that for like three hours and like 10 o'clock. Then I went to the farmer's market and I just let that sit. And I reheated that, you know, around like four o'clock, I made the rice, right? And I can tell you right now, I fucked up the rice because I used a new variety of rice that you don't usually mix with like other things. And it's my first time using it. And I totally fucked it up. It was not very good. And I also assembled the salad that I made, but I also made the vinaigrette at like 730 in the morning. So like I'm knocking things out that I know that either get better. This is the sandbagging, right? Get better with time or doesn't diminish the quality of the food. So that's how I'm timing things out. The things that need to be done at the last minute or degrade quickly if I cook it too early in advance, I'm going to save that at the very end. So I'm trying to cook as much as I can earlier before, you know, even though it's not service, I think of it that way when guests arrive at like five o'clock. So yeah, that's how I think about it. And I would write on, I would probably have three lists, one list for the pantry, another list for the shit you need to buy. And then another list for the timing of what you need to prepare. So that's how I would assume mise en place. Right. And the other thing too, and we talked about this during holiday cooking, I'm already plotting out what dishes that I'm going to need. Right. So I set that aside and that's a reminder of me visually. It's a visual reminder of the things that I have to sort of keep on task and cook throughout the day. So that's how I do it. Honestly, I don't think there's any other way to do it. Pretty good. Like actually it's, it's, it's fascinating because like you do have all that planning that goes into working in a restaurant where you have the me's and everything's very kind of, you know, sorted out before you get started. But you do kind of do a good job shedding a light on how for a home cook, it really is. You have to know everything that's in your pantry or else you're going to end up like with three bottles of spices that like are identical and you're just like yeah. forgot every time and things like that. So like just being, being smart. And, and, know, and, and not yeah. only that, I know all the pots and pans that I'm going to need. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times for home cooks, I think that's a limitation, whether you have a small kitchen or not, like what you're allowed to cook. Right. I also know because my oven 
to the planning part, I also know that my oven weirdly leaks gas. I've gotten it checked out, but for the first 30 minutes or so, it leaks a little bit of gas. So I have to open up the windows and stuff. I'm, I've gotten it looked at. It takes a while, but I want to make sure that my kids are not there. So I even plan that accordingly in my head. So, you know, this is where this is going to seem like a digression. This is why I think it's important if you're a professional cook or any other profession, quite frankly, to learn about other people's work. Right. And I'm fascinated by comedy writers rooms. I'm fortunate enough to know a lot of comedy people and I'm always fascinated by improv. Right. And whether you're a groundlings or second city or whatever, a lot of people just assume, I would assume that a lot of people assume this, that improv is just look at them. They're just making shit up on the fly. No, it takes a lot of practice to learn how to wing it. And this is to me, a lot of the the two different styles of cooking. And it really is two different styles on a spectrum. On one hand, you, we've talked about this a lot. I know I have over the years. You have the Robuchon, Freddie Giraudet model, which is like a Swiss, Swiss watch, right? It's very precise. Every ingredient is almost grown to a specific size and weight and everything is measured out and everything is sort of extremely detail-oriented by the minute of how a dish might get made. That is fucking difficult. There's nothing easy about that. Even though people might say that's cooking by numbers, it's still fucking hard as shit. But I don't have the patience to do that. And quite frankly, it sort of bores me. It takes a lot of the, the nuance and and subtleties and, and excitement out of it. But let me just stress this. It's very difficult. And I do know that the other side of the people viewed the way I enjoy cooking as totally chaotic, anarchy-driven, and improvising is garbage. I've had this conversation. Many of my friends are the this kind of chef, the super precise. That's just not me. I think it's good to be a little bit of both. But for me, I've always been in, in, a huge admirer of the, the Passard school of cooking, which is about you know intuition and learning how to cook a dish through repetition and knowing that the, 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 the ingredients that you're working with are going to change throughout the day. And you're, being, you're sort of like really able to improvise by the minute. So again, like what I'm telling you is just my perspective. There's a lot of different ways to do it. But when I'm cooking at home, I think I've definitely benefited from being able to sort of improvise along the way. Anyway, Lainey, hope that answers your question. And uh, let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, we got a theoretical dinner date. Tom Brady at the Super Bowl. 
What do we got here, you know? All right. Well, the Super Bowl is in Vegas this year. So you got a full day with Tom Brady. Where are you taking him to eat? What are you guys doing? And just assume that Brady is not on the TB12 method, which is this draconian fucking diet that he was on when he was playing. Well, I, I do know when I was there for the Thursday night game, which was a terrible game, the Raiders versus the Saints, I think it was 3-0. It was a, one of the worst games in the history of the NFL. <laughs> it was so fucking bad. I do know that a lot of uh, my Amazon cast mates, teammates left to go uh, to the Fountain Blue because it was the opening of the Fountain Blue and Tom Brady was there. So I can tell you my thoughts on that is I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> You fuck uh, hanging out with Tom Brady or not. You know why? Tom Brady doesn't give a fuck about me. So, you know, like, it's not like I'm going to hang out and I don't want to hang out just to have a fucking photo. So I love Tom Brady. Number one, I do. I admire his sixth round draft pick. And I love the fact that he became the greatest quarterback of all time. I just, I love the work ethic. I may not love a lot of his other beliefs, et cetera, et cetera, but his greatness, I think, makes me love everything about him regardless. That sort of underdog mentality approach I'm a huge admirer of. But like, Hanging out with them is another thing altogether. So I don't know if I would want to, number one. Secondly, I think he'd be a fucking boring hang. And I don't think that's his fault. I remember talking to Bill Simmons and he said that he hung out with him, I think the first Super Bowl or the second Super Bowl. And this is before his life became surreal and super weird. And he was just a sort of a normal dude. I don't think you can become anything but fucking super weird if you're Tom Brady. Over time, you are in this bubble and, you know, you get things get distorted. And uh, I think it's amazing that he is as quote unquote normal as he is considering all the things that have happened to him. But I think I'd like to hang out with Tom when he was like early 20s, not six Super Bowls later, Tom Brady. That would be fucking weird. But if I had to, he doesn't eat anything that I like to eat. He doesn't eat nightshades. He doesn't drink. What do we eat? I think he's mostly plant based right now, right? Yeah, that's a word. Also, he can drink his ass off, Dave. Like, apparently, he can, he can really he put it away. He drinks tequila. Yeah, he can really put it away. I don't know. I don't know. He's too good looking to hang out with. He's, he's too dreamy. So, pick a restaurant where you just get to stare into his eyes, Dave. Come on. I don't know where we go. Where do you take somebody that hates food? I mean, he hates food. So, I don't know. TB12 diet. I had one of those shakes that he makes uh, when we were filming the uh, Hulu show. And got to say, like, it was a chore to drink. I didn't really want to eat it. I was like, this is what he, this is like the Tom Brady smoothie too. I don't know. I take him to Sweet Green. (laughs) It's the safest place. Is that your default for like, okay, you kind of eat healthy. So, all right, Sweet Green, Sweet Green. Like, is that, yeah, is that your like ripcord? Okay. That, That makes sense. Yeah. That's where we're going. <laughs> That's my date with Tom Brady. We're going to Sweet Green. We're going to get a triple protein chicken bowl and call it a day. And it's going to be one of those handshakes. Hey, um, let's hang out soon. And maybe we'll even get to exchange phone numbers. Knowing full well, I will never see him ever again. Right? It's a, it's a like great hanging out. Let's hang out soon. And we both know we're never going to talk to each other ever fucking again. But we'll have shared that triple protein chicken bowl at Sweetgreen to always connect us forever. All right. You know, what do we got? All right. So we got a mini version of My Opinion is Fact, a segment where Dave gives rapid fire takes on a variety of topics. Let's kick it off with, all right, NFL playoffs prediction. Dave, 
The Dolphins are out of the playoffs. Mike White is not going to be Super Bowl MVP. Hey, 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 take it easy. Take it easy. All right. <laughs> so I made a prediction at the beginning of the year that the Dolphins are going to win the Super Bowl. And it wasn't going to be two. It was going to be Mike White as the Super Bowl MVP. Clearly, I was wrong. The algorithm has not worked well for me at all this year. And um, yeah, but here's the deal. I think me being wrong is equally as being right as everyone at the fucking ringer. <laughs> I mean... You know what I was thinking last night? I was listening to Cousin Sal and, and Bill talk about their predictions. We need to have a podcast that is not just The Ringer. It's ESPN. It's the NFL Network. And literally just revisit everyone's predictions. No, but nobody ever does it. Nobody ever does it. Even the great Ben Solak, I think, predicted the Eagles versus the Chiefs. And then he changed the Eagles versus the Ravens, right? I don't think anybody predicted the Eagles to fucking flounder as much as they have. Everyone predicted the Cowboys to choke. That's not a, that's not a reality. I think some people chose the Packers, but nobody thought that it's going to be like this. So you can laugh at me all you want, but I'm, ba- I'm batting the same fucking percentage as the experts. So nobody's going to choose. Nobody's going to choose the right Super Bowl. I'm going to say this. My guarantee is nobody from the ringer or anything from a top sports news publication is going to accurately predict the Super Bowl. Damn. Like from right now. You mean like preseason? Preseason. Okay. So yeah, I, I chose the fucking Dolphins. You laugh at me all you want. I like this idea of, of score the pundits. Keeping, keeping them accountable. Yeah. Score the pundits like a pundit ombudsman. Yeah, we're the ombudsman motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> What do we have next? All right. So CSA boxes. Oh, whoa, whoa. I got to give you my prediction. Yeah, you got to give me your prediction. The Ravens versus the 49ers. Not a surprise there. They're, they're the two best teams in the NFL. Yeah. It's unfortunate that the Washington football team couldn't have Kyle Shanahan. And we talked about this before. It's just amazing to me that, and just again, in any group of work that you have, you're almost never going to identify the people that are actually going to be successful. It's very difficult because you can hire Ron Rivera instead of Kyle Shannon. Jay Gruden, instead of Kyle Shannon. It's fucking genius. Shout out to bro, Ron. All right, so CSA boxes. You love them or hate them? I don't have an opinion on CSA boxes because I've never had one. What? Yeah. I mean, in Brooklyn, my friends in Brooklyn would always go to their CSA, right? I I didn't understand. It's like, what what do you, you got to work at the CSA? I didn't even know what the fuck it was. Like, what do you mean you have to work there? For those that don't know, what is a CSA? So CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture, and it's a way to buy local food directly from a farmer. And usually this comes in the form of like a box with like a bunch of vegetables thrown in that are very seasonal and look pretty damn good. So can I tell you right off the bat, I think one of the reasons why I'm not like a a lover of the idea of CSA, and this is going to seem like a complete leap of logic, not a surprise here on the Dave Chang Show. When I hear the Community Service Association, Right? Community supported agriculture. Community supported agriculture. To me, even worse. That to me like makes me uneasy because it reminds me of Pol Pot in Cambodia and their and their movement to 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 go back to an agrarian society. We're, we're back to Pol Pot people. Welcome to the Dave I'm serious. <laughs> I just think that idea of a CSA freaks me out. So that's one reason. The other reason is I've never needed a CSA because we go to the farmer's market and uh, why, w- I, again, like I don't want to work with my neighbors. That's not, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to, that's not, that's not part of my universe. I'd rather have a soulless transaction with a, a machine 
with no human on the other end than work with somebody else so I could have Fuji apples that were picked yesterday. I can just go to the farmer's market myself. That's not soulless. You can you can interface with people there. But I don't want to I don't want to hang out with people. I I don't even want to talk to my my kids friends, my kids uh, classmates parents. I think that's a lot of Americans though. <laughs> so why the fuck would I want to hang out in a CSA? Cuz I'm just telling you that those CSAs, they have the potential to start a very negative revolution. I mean, listen, <laughs> history is on my side here, folks. Okay, we gotta move on. <laughs> How Why are you laughing? Like, what the fuck? Like, well, couldn't you just theorize potentially that the genocide of <laughs> Cambodia oh my God. could be seeded? Well, let me rephrase that. Couldn't you see that, like, in some ways, what Pol Pot did and the terrible things was basically the seeds of a CSA? I, Listen, it's not that fucking crazy. It sounds crazy. You're talking about a community of like-minded individuals that are trying to get agriculture as a community together, a reversion to an agrarian society, which is almost like a barter system. My labor gets me fucking vegetables. I'm just saying. It's truthfully, the logic is a little bit on my side more than your side. It's what? No, no, seriously. What a CSA is you put labor in to an organization where you collectively work to get fruits and vegetables, right? I mean, or you could just order the damn box, Dave. I'm just saying, yeah, like a yeah, CSA yeah. itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't order the box unless you're, you're, you're working at the store, right? They're making it more like available to people, and that's why, that's why it's becoming a thing. You know, they're just, you know, it's becoming more capitalist-supported agriculture. I don't know about that. <laughs> Fucking can't do this right now. <laughs> All right. <sighs> This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Fuck, Mary kill, Dave. We got fried eggs, scrambled eggs, and hard-boiled egg. Well, we need Fuck some clarification here, folks. What kind of fried egg? How is it fried? Ooh. Okay. Sunny side up. Okay. Well, I mean, like, that's huge. What is it fried in? Okay. Neutral oil that, like, doesn't smell. How about that? What kind of egg? Are these all hen eggs? They're all, yeah, hen eggs. Pasture raised, free range, whatever, you, you know. Because I will tell you right now, if it was just a fried egg that was just fucking hammered, that is eradicate from the face of the planet. Straight up. I would eradicate the fried egg from the face of the planet because that's just a horrible... I don't know if I could be friends with you if that's how you eat your eggs. You know, if we're at a diner and they're like, how would you like your, you know, your, your big breakfast? I was like, could I have two fried eggs well done? I'm walking out of the diner. Straight up walking out of the diner. I was like, <laughs> I can't be friends with you. That is... There's only one situation where that makes sense. In Cantonese cooking, there's a, like a noodle soup where they just put a, in Chinese cooking, they just fry a damn egg so hard. Even then, that's probably the only acceptable way. All right. Scrambled egg. How scrambled? American style or French style? Let's go French style. Let's go French style. We got to make it competitive. Is it soft scrambled with yeah. butter? Well, what's your ideal version of it? I think that's a better question. A scrambled egg is something that is on the the verge of being cooked through. It is honestly proper scrambled eggs to me, to most people feel that it may be underdone. So again, there is a right or wrong answer here. And most people have the wrong answer to scrambled eggs. 
Now, hard-boiled egg, that also has a, a lot of nuance. Yeah. How, how, how hard? Let's say, actually, let's do that, the ramen jam egg standard, like that, where it's like still kind of like nice and soft in the middle, not, not, not as like crumbly. So a, a, a seven and a half to eight minute egg. That's, uh, yeah, that's, the, that's a good approximation. Well, we're killing the fried egg. Nah, I don't know. Scary, oh, sunny side's fucking good. Fuck. This, I have to say, for Fuck, Mary Kill is probably the hardest one we've ever done with this setup. Because I love them all. Mm. I don't even know who I want to fuck here. Because there's nothing sexier than popping that egg yolk and letting that ooze out. You laugh now, but I'm telling you, there's something extremely sexual about an oozy egg yolk. If you cook it properly, the egg white itself becomes crunchy, right? And I'm a big sucker for textural contrast. So if you cook it hard enough, it's just going to develop that texture that I love, that crispiness. And you can get that. It's the only one of these three that has the, the sexual essence of the egg yolk that can ooze out. So that I'm, fuck, I'm fucking that. Straight fucking that. Oh, man. Who am I marrying? I'm marrying the hard-boiled egg. But it's not hard-boiled. Or is a jammy egg. You know why? There's a lot of variety. Much like marriage, some days it could be a little bit more hard cooked, a little bit undercooked. And there's a lot more you can do with that egg. You can marinate it. You can you can salt and pepper. You can add it to, you can make a super cool egg. So I, it, to, to some way, in some ways, it's probably the most versatile. It's the one that gives you the most options, strangely enough, in my opinion. In terms of dishes around the world cuisine-wise, scrambled egg is as much as I love you. You're one note. You're one note. And you're boring. You're boring. You're a one date. You're one date, scrambled egg, and then I ghost your ass. So yeah, I'm killing you, scrambled egg. Later. So sorry, scrambled eggs. You ain't deserve that. What What, what about you guys? <laughs> I think I'm a Mary on the sunny side up egg because it's, it is, again, as you mentioned, versatile. A thing that I didn't mention, which I thought, um, you've had that Thai style fried egg where they like puff up the outside and super, super high heat and the middle still like just oozy. Uh, yeah, it's not only that style, it's also you see a, quite a bit in Cantonese cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's, I was, I was thinking like, that's another element of that sunny side up egg where it's just, it is technically sunny side up. They don't flip it. They just like baste it with the, the oil and just ship it. So I was thinking about that one. So that's, that's my Mary. And then, yeah, sorry, scrambled eggs. I, I know, I know it's a hard world, but it's, uh, scrambled egg is, uh, it's basically the equivalent of like, you know, a Karen. Oh, okay. Let's not, let's not stomp on the grave. Okay. Like it's, it's still it very is. good food. Do you want to kill a Karen? Of course you do. No, nobody wants to kill a Karen day. They just don't want to talk to them. All right. Like, but a scrambled egg is delicious on its own merits. And it's, it's a pretty good backdrop for things too. You can put like, you know, no, nah, man, you don't, you're not, you're not getting past the second date on a scrambled oh egg. God. Yeah. No, you I'm ain't inviting you. them upstairs to your apartment. There's nothing. <laughs> It is nothing. Not in the apartment. Nothing. You have a cup of coffee. No, place, not even man. a fucking cup of coffee. <laughs> That's so rude. That's a swipe left. Oh, you right deserve off better scrambled eggs. I'm sorry. You deserve Swipe better. left on the scrambled egg. One note. But you look really good. You look really good. But like a good, like the one you're talking about where it's like just under that, that firmed up and that's buttery. Like, holy shit. Why? When I could fuck a, a sunny side up egg. <laughs> why would I go with the scrambled egg? All right. When all I right. could fuck that egg yolk. Why would I want the scrambled egg? Oh my god. <laughs> Victoria, how about you? I would marry the scrambled egg. I'm sorry, guys. Wow. And I would kill the the uh, fried egg and F the hard boiled egg. Wow. wow. Guess we can't be friends, Victoria. I'm sorry. I try to stay quiet. I I let you guys slander scrambled eggs. Sorry. She came out and I'm sorry. Hey. 
Everybody's got well, some money. I've been money. told Victoria's friends with a bunch of Karen, so it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. All, All right. right. What do we got next? So, Dave, the Apple Vision Pro mm. is launching on February 2nd. Are you going to buy it not or not? Only do, not only am I going to buy the Apple Vision Pro at its obscene price, I know that it is pre-ordered list starts on January 19th. I have a calendar date. I have two calendar date reminders to sign me up because I don't know when it's going to actually have that list open. Is it going to be midnight East Coast time or Greenwich Mean Time or Pacific Standard Time? I don't know. Maybe just talking out loud, I need to set another fucking reminder to get all the time zones right because it theoretically could start in Australia. So maybe I have to do five different calendar reminders to check my phone. So even if I'm sleeping, I'm going to wake up and fucking sign up because I'm going to get one of those motherfuckers. And here's the deal. You're never going to see me again, ever. I'm going to vanish and I'm never going to leave my house. It's going to be amazing. This is the, like when you watch any kind of movie where they're trying, you have a good guy and a bad guy and they're both in pursuit of this one thing that's going to, you know, flip sides forever, whether it's a ring or a book or whatever the fuck. This is what it is for an endorsement. This is the missing fucking piece for the endorsement clan to never see another endorsement ever again. It's going to be amazing. I, I Honestly, I cannot tell you how excited I am for this. I mean, don't even get with me with this Oculus bullshit. Fuck that. No, this is, this is going to be amazing. I'm, I'm so fucking excited about this. I'm going to be um, watching basketball games courtside. Uh, I'll be watching every movie on a thousand square foot, you know, movie screen. I'll be, doing all my Zoom calls with a stupid fucking goggle on. I don't care. I'm never going to type on a keyboard ever again. It's going to be like, that's what, that's what I'm going to do. Very excited. You better get used to my digital avatar. Tell you what, I ain't doing this shit ever again. So February, what, 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 I, I don't even know what, February what, it comes out? February 2nd is yeah. the official. I'm, I'm, my mind is only set on, get on the wait list. February 2nd, this is, we'll still do this podcast, but it'll be my digital avatar. Why are you guys shaking your head? Are you guys not excited about this thing? I've been saving up. So Eunice has authorized me to purchase two. And one we save as a collector's item, potentially because this might be the start of something really big. So just kind of stockpile that one and use one in the house. And I told her, uh, we're not going to do it because we don't have enough time together as it is. And I Remember, Yuno's uh, wife went to an Ivy League university <laughs> and she's much smarter than you know. I mean, you know is a Trojan. <laughs> Just saying, somebody in the family's got the brains, and I think that's a fucking genius idea. Victoria, are you getting one? I'm excited. I want to see Dave come in with it first. I, I'm waiting on Dave's review. But didn't you hear him? He's never leaving the house. If I do leave the house, you know what? I'm going to be that fucking a-hole that wears it outside. I'm going to be that asshole on the airplane that just walks on it. You know, it's going to be amazing. I'm so, so excited. Really. Speaking of which, that is a really good, I mean, if you just bought a, every model of an iPhone and just stored it away, I bet you that's like a million dollars right now. Yeah, I believe the first iPhone sold for around 64000 recently at auction. So, Did like, I tell you that I, I saw the first iPhone ever made? What the fuck? First one. Oh, this is a story. It was sit, sitting on someone's desk and I won't name the person. <laughs> I was at their house in San Francisco and I was in their office. And it was like a paperweight. I was like, this fucking thing needs to be in the Smithsonian. I turned it on. 
And there's only two numbers in it. Steve Jobs, Johnny I. Facts. I'm not making that shit up. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was told this was the first iPhone ever made. Yeah. yeah that's, that's one to tell your grandkids. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I've never been invited back to the house ever since. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys. Uh, we got a double header today. Main reason I we're banking these is I am on the road. And I think by the time you listen to this, you have realized that my schedule is going to be fucking insane. So we are trying to bank as many as we can because for the next few weeks, I will have a lot going on. Give us five stars and uh, appreciate it. 